0: Where you can watch Sky Sports, Premier Sports and BT Sport together and all without a contract. What a fantastic part! So whether there's a day, week or whole month of action you just can't miss, you can now stream the lot. Oh, it's a fabulous goal! This is your sport on your terms. Search Now TV Sports to find out more. 18 plus content streamed via internet. Full terms apply. Phil Tiger.
1: Like
2: her like her so first up i'm going to apologize to everybody <laughs> this makes it sound like i've said something really dodgy in one of the previous podcasts and and, and i'm getting fired from my own podcast no it's not that This year has been absolutely insane. If you have been following since season one, you'll know that we were releasing them week on week on week on week. And it was, you know, perfect 16 weeks in a row. And there you go, done and dusted. Series two has been absolutely all over the place. We started it at the start of the year and now we are in October and we're only finishing it with 12 episodes. The reason being, uh, if you listen to the podcast, is that I had a book uh, that came out called The Slacker's Guide to the Music Industry. And to be honest, trying to keep up the podcast engagements and releasing a book um, by myself, self-publishing as well, um, because you got to self-publish if you're talking about DIY in a book, right? It would look a little bit stupid if you had like a virgin or a penguin or a Harper Collins right next to it, wouldn't it? Um, I thought, right, you know, I'm going to have a panic attack if I, if I do try and get all of this in. But we are staring down the barrel of our final episode of this season, and I have already recorded two episodes of season three and i am going to batter them every single week i have a different guest up until the end of the year so when we start again for season three uh in hopefully maybe december maybe january it depends uh, how many we get it will be every single week so much love to everybody who has been listening to the slacker podcasts throughout uh, you're probably wondering who the guest is or if you're smart enough and you've just clicked on it and it says Kate Tempest then <laughs> you already know who it is um, yeah I've been trying to make this happen for a little bit um, I caught up with um, the poet laureate um, of the UK my poet laureate uh, anyway um, uh, just before she went on tour at the very beginning of October and she's just a absolutely wonderful human being she's had a, a storied life of, of hardships and and talent and mercury music prize nominations on two of her albums she's written plays she is the troubadour that we need in 2019 and just before we get to the podcast I just want to tell you that we have got two slacker live shows coming up in Ireland um, just before Christmas on the 16th of December in the Sugar Club in Dublin, I'm going to be picking the meat of the bones of the band The Coronas. Um, so that's going to be real fun. Like My band actually supported their band years and years and years ago, just when they were starting out. So I'm going to be doing a full interview to a live studio audience which you can go to you can buy tickets to it Uh, i'll put a link below um, if you're a slacker listener in dublin if you're a slacker listener in northern ireland i'm going to be doing a live podcast at the limelight on the 17th of december with ryan McMullen. so there you go the coronas on the 16th of december in dublin at the sugar club and ryan McMullen. On the seventeenth of December, in the limelight, two live podcasts. I'm starting to get the sort of grip of these things, and yeah, that's it. Links below if you want to go to those. Uh, right, okay. So as it's the last podcast, let's just get into it as we speak. This is the podcast with Kit Tempest in three, two, one. This is a Slacker podcast, and we are in Dawson. my old haunt. I used to live across the road from here. Really? Yeah, and we've got Kate Tempest um, in front of me. I'm not going to sit and reminisce about like.
3: Well, I was going to say, how it feel to be back?
2: For- forest roads. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I didn't really particularly. I wasn't particularly enamoured with Dalston in the first place.
3: Right. Okay.
2: It was always Stoke Newington. Right. I don't
3: really know. Um, well, you're
2: south. You're south of the yeah. south of the river.
3: Yeah, obviously I have to come up this way loads for work stuff, but I never spent that much time up here.
2: Do you get a nosebleed when you go this far north? No, mm. no, I'm not.
3: Like, <laughs> I do, a better way of saying it is I feel great when I get back south. That's <laughs> <laughs> a better way of putting
2: it. Um, so last time we were talking, um, it was on my Radio One show, and yeah. you you were picking the music for the chill mix. By the way, great, that was amazing. You got you played. So many like old school bangers that I really wanted to hear. Yeah. And I just love, I love it when people come on and play really old music. and Honestly, you're not the only one. Lots Amazing. of people, lots of people do it, but yeah. it kind of feels like, <laughs>
3: yeah,
1: it
2: feels like, you know, we're playing Duke Ellington <laughs> <laughs> on Radio yeah. 1. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. So yeah, big up on that. I, you were, um, when we were, when we were chatting, I think you, your, your partner was coming home and you were I was like, cleaning the flat. you were cleaning, you were cleaning the flat. Uh-huh how clean did you get it and did you get away with it
3: yeah it it was like i think it was really more in my own head than like i don't think she cared at all she got home and i don't think she even noticed <laughs> but um yeah it sometimes when you have when you're touring a lot when i'm touring a lot you get i get um just whenever I'm at home, I just get really excited about doing really boring things that are like extremely domestic. Because you just haven't had the chance to mm. to be at home very much. And so little things like doing the washing up or like cleaning like crazy, things that I like used to hate doing, it just makes me feel really good. Makes me feel really settled and grounded and stuff before I have to go out again. That so,
2: novelty wears off after a couple of weeks.
3: I mean, yeah, pretty much. But after <laughs> a day of it, you're like, all oh, right, itching to go again. But,
2: I like when when I came home. I was away for a week in Dublin. um Just like it was Ireland Music Week, I was away watching some new bands and new artists and stuff. And when I came back to ho- like my house was like really clean. My, yeah, my just <laughs> like had like she hadn't like been drinking at all. I was like doing Stoptober, uh and like you know and literally twenty four hours later, the house is an absolute scene. And it's the same vice versa as well. When she's away. It's really clean. Yeah. So it turns out we're just real bad influences. Yeah, yeah. It's either you, you could think of it as that, like bad influences on each other or you bring out like the the just the real indulgent side of each other. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> because it's like when there's someone there with you it's like you don't want to Yeah, it's just you've always just got something more fun to be doing than like taking care of the really boring stuff. Yeah, you exactly. I mean? You like jump out of bed like early to like
2: I think like my like my my takeaway ratio would definitely be less if I was if I wasn't like I'm not blaming my missus for me be, for me putting on like a lot of weight in the last couple of years but I kind of am. I, d- I have turned to her many different times going I'd be way skinnier if we weren't going out. That's what
3: they do say that they say love makes you fat. That's what they say. <laughs> Sorry,
2: mate. Oh well, that's it. Like I'm married now, so maybe like a, maybe I'll have some sort of like early thirties crisis where I'll start running and going to the gym.
3: A lot to look forward to. Yeah. I'm
2: really looking forward to that, bit. Yeah. like, cause like, I, I don't know about you. I'm like that—that that sort of lifestyle change. Is people around like you know, thirty-one, thirty-two start to go, like start go running and and, yeah. and biking, and yeah. I, I still really like the pub and like yeah. kebabs and. Shit. I'm like waiting for that life lesson. Cause we're about the same age, right?
3: Uh, yeah. How old
2: are you? I'm I'm thirty-two. Well,
3: I'm thirty-three.
2: Well, yeah, there you go. Yeah,
3: I'm I'm fully in it. Yeah. Are you
2: fully like? Have you have you hit that like? that next step
3: yeah i think because of touring especially especially um when you are there's a lot of booze on tour obviously it's like really hard to eat well because you're you have to eat takeaways all the time and stuff like that so with all that kind of stuff it can just wreak havoc with your mental health basically yeah of course and um i've recently started on this tour especially i've just started to plan things a bit better like um when we were in the States, I was just being just more aware of the things that I need to like feel a bit better. And like as much as I love the pub, like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I love the pub. But like
2: there's a difference between going to the pub on a Friday night and actually once a week and and yeah. being on tour and being around alcohol and all of that.
3: It's mad how day. much you end up like it just just took, it becomes this mad routine that wouldn't happen if if he had another job, you wouldn't like finish your day's work. And like everyone's like, we finished! And then just get absolutely busted <laughs> because it's like, you've done it, you've done the gig. Let's go, for a, let's go to a house party. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and then the next yeah. day, like you just have to watch it, because, you know, when you're... Especially at festivals and stuff, there's just booze everywhere. So it, all that to say that, yeah, I've started to try and just be a bit more active and be a bit more careful about what I'm doing to myself, because... Just yeah, for my mental health, if not anything else.
2: Yeah, right. big time. I mean, like uh, one night on the booze these days leads to about two days of anxiety and depression. Yeah, <laughs> do, do you know, do that you know sounds what I mean, about right? Yeah. <laughs> and that I don't think that's like symptomatic of people who already have mental health issues. I think like genuinely, it's you're in the minority if you can wake up and get on with your life the next day. Um, a friend of mine said to me, and it was very sort of pertinent because he plays he plays in bands and he like you know he's up to a certain level now, but he was mm. talking about when we used to play in bands, when we would travel the country to Limerick to play or, or Dublin to play or whatever, and you might even get your petrol money, but you would be paid in booze. And, mm. and he just said to me, he was like, it's the only industry that you get paid in a depressant. Mm. Which and, is- you'd,
3: and you'd be so grateful for it. it like, yeah. I remember being like, I'm going to get as much of this down my neck as I can because this is all I'm getting. <laughs> and then you'd think it was a night well played. like.
2: But it wasn't one of the, the your first bands called the rum uh, sound of rum yeah. sound of rum, yeah, so like I mean <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you don't call yourself the sound of rum when you're a teetotal band, like do you
3: yeah, it was a pretty messy time, but I th- we only chose that name, we chose that name because um we really needed a band name because we had a gig at a festival and they wanted to put us on the lineup, but we didn't have a name, so we were we were in the car driving to somewhere, and um all we had as, like, a reference point, was a map. Was <laughs> that like a map of the UK? And so I think it was Ferry, the drummer, was in the back seat and he was just looking, like, flicking through the map, reading out names, and there were these <laughs> patches of water yeah. off the coast of Scotland called sounds. There's uh-huh. the sound of rum, the sound of egg, the sound of something else, sound of... I don't know, they're off, there, off the coast of Scotland. And he'd just been reading out names and then he read out sound of rum and we were like, I, I was probably drinking a bottle of rum at the time or something anyway at the time we thought it was a good name
2: don't name your band after place names i've, I've found that out the hard way why we, uh, the band i was in was called Colenso parade right which is like a, a one tiny street in belfast and we were like, <laughs> like we didn't even <laughs> google it it was like this is definitely not going to be taken as a band name Two years into our career we're doing all right we're playing this sat the other. we've won a couple of, like you know when you're a teenager you're doing the battle of the bands yeah, and stuff and we've won a couple of them and we're touring about and on myspace right this is this is how, yeah. this is, dates me horribly but um one of the original members of kalenta parade from the <laughs> 80s got in contact with me and was like you have to stop using our name and I think we were about nineteen, and we just wrote back, "Fuck off, old man!" It's our name now. Oh no! <laughs> I bumped into the lead singer of, of it at a gig in Edinburgh one day. And we we um put, made a truce, and we're still trying to figure out which one's the better one. <laughs> I think they might. I think they might win it. To be <laughs> to be fair, um, what well, was gonna say? Congratulations on the new album.
3: Thanks.
2: How how are you feeling on it? Are you feeling good? You've got sort of time to sort of. I mean, to be fair, like when it comes out, you've probably recorded it ages ago anyway.
3: What happened when it, i think we we finished it a few months before it came out yeah yeah we finished recording it in like october last year and it came out in may so yeah i would had some time with it
2: that's not too bad so i've heard worse ones but where like an album's been recorded for like a year two years or something, yeah yeah and you're just sitting on it it takes it, but ages yeah it's really hard. is it hard like if you have made an album so long in the past that when it starts to come out, it's hard to get excited about it when people are asking you questions about it because it's almost <laughs> like it's almost like a previous part of it. that you. old
0: thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. I'm halfway through the next one.
3: <laughs> yeah, I feel like the this particular one it was finished for quite a long time. The writing was finished before we recorded it because we wanted to record it. I wanted to record it in one take. Wanted us to memorize it all. So we did all the writing. We and it took it took a long time. We worked on it really slowly. And then, by the time we got the studio time out there in the states to go and record it, we'd already been living with it for like a couple of years, and it had been finished in the state that it was in for like at least a year. It was like pretty much pretty much finished like yeah. there was small changes that got made, but it was just about memorizing it and then we started doing these small shows so that we could really prove to ourselves i could I'm saying we because it's me and Dan Carey, the guy that writes music with me but Pretty much it was so that I could prove to myself that I committed this thing to my body memory. Sometimes when you go out in front of an audience, you learn things, sorry, you learn things about um, the text that you can't notice until you've tried to say it out loud to somebody else. Because you might think it's fine, cool, great, but then your mouth literally doesn't want to say a bad line because the stakes are so much higher, suddenly you're connecting with an audience. And just little things start to make sense to you about how it moves, the shape of the thing blah 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 all this to say that by the time we've recorded it yeah we'd already been living with it but then it's something new and then when it comes out it's something completely new because this little thing that you have this secret that you've been keeping is suddenly out in the world and people are listening to it they're understanding it in their own way suddenly people's interpretations of it will color your own interpretations of it it's quite an exciting experience i really. wonder why
2: musicians don't like take the sort of comedian's approach to to music because i think like road testing music before it comes out is a really good way of f- mm. figuring it out um like in a band i work with on my label like like they they like we have to play this out live to see what it's like but they're brand new so they they don't have to get up in front of loads of people and be expected to play the hits yeah so if you wanted to road test a new album if you went and played somewhere, everybody would be shouting to play tracks off like this album or that album. Um, but like comedians, like they'll go and rent a tiny little theater yeah. and like say like Soho Theater and yeah. they'll try it out. And if it's shit, <laughs> it gets ditched. Yeah. If it's great, it stays in. But you don't get that with musicians, do you?
3: But I think there's so much to be said for it. Like often I think it's about a luxury of time because the way the whole recording industry is structured is like you you write the record, you record it. Then you take it out on the road and you tour it, you know, once it's out, because it, it's all about just the structure. This is, this is how you do it. There's this many particular gigs in a, in a cycle of touring, then you hit the festivals, blah, 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 blah. But the thing is, what's actually for me really exciting is doing it the other way around, like learning it. This, learning it and then going into the studio knowing it. Like it was amazing doing it that way.
2: It's crazy though, like, because like, is it not hard to reset your brain? When you've got tracks on there that are so optimistic, so bleak, um, so um, you know, the energy is completely different. Like from fire smoke to like you know the rest of the record. Like it's, it's it's
3: just, if you do it as one piece, like I, we, I conceived it as as one piece. Like they all, they were different songs, and then they found their way together. And I wrote around them, and then um, when you when when you put songs next to each other and you record them as one thing, even if they are written separately, I think that every band should at least try this once. If you're going to go in the studio and record a few songs, at least try two or three takes of all those four songs just together. No break in between, back to back. Mm. And if you can musically link them, amazing. If not, then just play them straight into each other. Because what happens is you find that the songs start to hold hands across the recording like things that happen in the second song will influence things that happen in the fifth song you get this cohesion and you get this like communication between the lyrics that you hadn't even intended to be there I became aware of how many times the word trap comes up in the album (laughs) like I didn't even you know just mad things like that happen where you're like wow this is what I meant by that because I can see myself repeating this phrase here or and just gives it the whole body it gives it this kind of seriousness
2: I know that Rick Rubin is a, a, a human, just like I am. He he burps, he farts, he falls over, he gets happy, he gets sad. But I can't help but mytholog- mythologize him in 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 my own head, just because of how he looks and who he's worked with. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, so I've I've never met the man, but like, I just I just imagine him to come in like a sort of record producer jesus walking into yeah. walking into the room with his feet. what what is what is it like working with with him and like did, what did he sort of bring to the project really
3: i mean his it's just it was mysterious <laughs> <It's> <laughs> yeah i like it's the best word for it really the whole thing was an absolute mystery and like it's not like it's it's really not like anything else i've experienced like, I just went to see him recently to play him these new demos. Me and Dan had made this, like... We had, like, this whole bunch of demos we been working on, thinking, like, wow, we're gonna... We've got this new thing we're feeling really good about, where this new stuff is going. Isn't it weird,
2: though? Dan Carey's, like, w- w- renowned as one of the best producers in, in the UK. Pretty much any band at the minute wants to work with him. Yeah. Yet, yeah, user are making songs, and, and you could very easily just make them with Dan... But Dan's like, and you're like, one. let's go to Rick Rubin.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting proposition for Dan, especially to have the guidance of this other producer. But the way that it kind of works in our unit is that Dan and I are writing the material, but then Rick acts as this, um, just this other pair of ears. He doesn't have any hand in the writing. He doesn't have any hand in the production. He just basically says, this is a good idea. Keep Mm. going that way this is not such a good idea, don't go that way. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, we played him the demos for Let the Meet Chaos and he wasn't into them. So me and Dan just did that ourselves because what Rick wanted was Traps and Lessons, this album that we've made. And then these new demos, I took him out to Rick's place, you know, which is just absolutely bizarre. Like, I mean, it's just incredible, but it's like... I, the only way I can describe it, okay, so if you just imagine, every every surface is clear, the sun is always shining, it's like white... Things are all painted white, white. There's these huge beanbags in this big glass room. The beanbag is the size of a double bed. And you can just jump on it and lie back. Oh
2: my God, I'm feeling relaxed already. It's so
3: relaxing. <laughs> it's
2: like... I might put some relaxing music to this. This is just like... Just
3: <laughs> yeah. A little bit of ASMR. In, in the morning, when you wake up, because there's rooms in the studio. And if you stay there in the morning, this the, the, the kitchen... Radio, I don't know where it's coming from, just plays this really chilled out classical piano. Like, <laughs> just in the morning, you just wake up, it's sunny, you're in Malibu, there's piano <laughs> playing, the coffee's on. It, it is, it's like being in this, like, I don't know, this kind of dream world. And then on top of all that, Rick Rubin's there. But right?
2: like, the, the, he's made a, a famous, like, he's made a career um, and made himself famous working with some of the most loud and balshy and brash music in the world. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you to... that's
3: why he needs to be so chill. But, but...
2: but maybe maybe that's it. Yeah. Um, I just like the, the idea of going from... I'd imagine Frazier's probably on the TV in the background, if there was no even TVs. a TV. No TV No, no, no keep, keeps uh-uh. your head... Like, is there a sort of uh, a Brian Eno style, it's all about in the room, like, you know, the sort of mantra of going this take is the take, because... No, it's just like, get into it, he's get like, it right. Basically,
3: the things that he seems to say most often are like, just keep going, keep writing. Just like, you know, you might go to him like, this, I've got it, and he'll just be like, he'll ask you a question about it that basically means that you've got to start completely again from scratch. Everything. Oh like, God. it's extremely mysterious. Like, yeah, it's yeah. not like somebody... He doesn't even, like, comment on the sound, or the drums, or the writing, or the structure of the song, sorry, I just keep hitting this thing, Cut. but it's like, you, you're not having any conversations, like, about the nitty-gritty of the actual uh-huh. music, or the musicality, or anything, it, it's the conversations that you're having are, like, next level. But that would
2: break my heart, maybe, yeah, like, you have to be a certain sort of person to work with him, but, like, if I came with a song, and I was really proud of, and he was like, "Going, oh, that's not right, go back to the start, yeah. I'd be like... Oh god, tell me why. <laughs> yeah,
3: it's hardcore. Yeah. But the thing is you you have to just say to yourself at some point it's like what he, this producer is trying to get out of me as an artist or as a vocalist is is something that I I can't f- it's too easy for me to be in love with whatever I'm writing. Because yeah, I, I yeah. love the process. I love to write. I love to make music. I, I just think music's cool. So I can make a demo and I can put a verse on it and it can be like, this is the coolest thing. Amazing. Let's put this out. But then to have somebody who is so well-versed in how to get the best out of a vocalist performance, course, being like, yeah. this, isn't, this isn't the thing. For some reason, this isn't you in your most present or your most real. And so for a person like me, the way that I take criticism is like, I just... I'm like I've been. I love to get notes because it just pushes me to go harder. Uh-huh. But it can be infuriating because if I, if I imagine in my head now that this new album we've started to write, if this thing's going to take another five years to crack this code like the last one did, yeah. it's like it's kind of disheartening. But
2: in, in saying it took five years to crack the code, you release another album in in that time. Yeah. So it it like. Even if this album's like the the last one, you'll probably write and record another one that's pretty comes out pretty easy.
3: Yeah, I imagine so. That like, that does seem to be what's going to happen. Every
2: yeah. every project is has a different timeline, and everybody's on a different timeline at that.
3: Yeah. So, because the thing is, you, we can't all be like in this place where we've got all the time in the world, and it's got to, you know you got to follow the the essence of the music. Like he's able to do that because of how successful he is, mm-hmm. and he can do that. But for me, it's like.
2: You gotta turn over, like you, uh-huh. you, like you. Like you're. Like I mean, the pressure of being a like a, a musician is that like you have to be releasing records every couple of years, unless you're like up to, at that sort of like fuck you level of like U two and yeah. and Coldplay, where they're like where they can go away and have five, six, seven, eight years off, and they'll. They, you just like you have to sort of
1: hey, who can afford coming. to do that? No, like, but uh, but
2: yeah. well, I mean, like the 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 realities of like of of being a, a musician are a lot different to what are aunties and uncles and cousins. Mm. and like They still think that like, everybody rocks around in a, a Ferrari once you've been on the TV once. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and you have to explain to them, going, you don't even get paid to be on the TV.
3: Yeah, it's hardcore, man. <laughs> it does.
2: It breaks people's like, heart when you kind of break down the fourth wall a little I bit. I think,
3: like, if I hadn't had all the other um, strings to my bow that I've had... I Which wouldn't... is a
2: considerable size bow, to be fair. Like,
3: so, yeah, have got, like... Got all these other bits that I do, but that—that that is basically the. I'll be completely honest with you. There was there was like I had a manager and it, and it was a bad situation. I didn't get paid a penny for any of the touring for Let the Meet Chaos. I played Brixton Academy. Do you know what I mean? We didn't get that's that was my big, yeah yeah yeah. It was hardcore. It's heartbreaking. I never said that on the to anyone really before. And but whatever, that is a situation that happened. It was really stressful and difficult. But thank goodness for my poetry work and like the books that I've published and things like that like because it's mad that you think that a musician playing a big show like that that's like 5,000 tickets or something Br- Brick- in the
2: Academy. Academy like I've if you do the if you do the math like you have, what is it like 5,000 tickets I think probably... it's like four
3: and a half I don't think we completely sold out I think we were at like four and a half when uh, we played
2: and it's like 20 quid a ticket or something I'm, I'm yeah. imagining like you, yeah like that's a lot for, of money for you for those people to come and see you appreciate your art um, and be there because they're fans of yours and you to walk away with absolutely nothing from that is yeah, It's is, is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. It, 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 do you know what? It doesn't sound like something that should happen in 2019. It sounds like something that would happen to an old soul singer, um, <laughs> an old Motown, Motown singer in like 1960s but do you know what, or right? 70s. I thought
3: to myself, considering what that album was about and the things that were being said on that album, it's good that I didn't see any money from it. It's kind of good because it's like, how could I actually have squared that with myself? of, like, walking away with profit and stuff from an album that is about what that album's about. So I've kind of squared that, up. Like, okay, that was a labour of love, and I did those shows for love. And absolutely, I would do it again for free.
2: That's mad. Like, me and my missus had this conversation exactly this morning about Banksy. Mm. Everything that he stands for is the opposite of the way that his art is treated, mm. in that, like, you've got him selling a, a, a painting for 10 million pounds, even though everything he does is anti-consumerist. Mm. So she was like going, "Isn't that, isn't that him selling out? Like the same way you're talking about the, mm-hmm. what that album was about and making money off it." And I was like, "Well, it's not selling out. It depends what you spend the money on, I mm. guess. Really,
3: I think that that particular example of Banksy, like he's pretty good at um, putting his money and using the fact that his paintings are, you know, sell for so much ridiculous money into important things. For example, he's." Um, Putting all the proceeds, he's opening this shop in South London, um, selling some. I don't know what even it is he's selling, but all the proceeds are going to building another um, boat, big kind of life saving boat for getting migrants out of uh, European waters. That's
2: incredible. See, that's that's putting your money to good use. He's bringing attention to some amazing things, and if he's giving back what he's getting. Yeah. Then I mean, that's
3: kind of it goes to show like how much people have this appetite, this kind of self flagellation appetite to like (laughs) pay millions of pounds for a painting about how consumerism is is bad, you know. And like, it's (laughs) I think it's pissing
2: himself laughing at this, like, because it's been this way, especially with his art for a long, long time. He must just be sitting there going, What is happening? Yeah, who knows? Like, why (laughs)
3: must be extremely surreal. (laughs)
2: so at this point in the podcast you'll probably realize that we haven't played the demo already well it has been quite a while since i've recorded a podcast and i was so excited to um chat to kate that it it almost didn't even feel like a podcast it felt like we had a, a pot of tea on we knew each other for years and we're just absolutely whiling away the the time and once she left the room and i patted myself on the back for a job well done I realised that I'd completely and utterly fucked up, and hadn't actually played her the demo, which is the whole crux of this podcast, am I right, people? So let's play the demo right now. We're not going to talk about it off the off the back, um, but this is a demo that she um, made uh, a couple of years ago off a track, and here it is.
3: Maybe I read it in a novel or overheard it on a night bus No matter what we seek, we won't find it till it finds us Easy for the seeing to polemicise on blindness My bad eye twitches in its socket as my mind rusts I'm just half for every in I stagger through Behold the bold soldier, his shield shone, his dagger flew He fell to the blow that fells every soul no matter whose Heads are rolled against the cold steel of the mallet's truth Came upon him, seized him by the cuff of his shirt sleeve And screamed at him about his pomposity The dirt breathed in and as he breathed out his last, I know it's prophecy. I heard it from the drunk in the weather, spoons in broccoli. Nothing's gonna give except the givers. Yes, our brains are sieves and we have sponges instead of livers. But fucking hell, forgive us for our shivers. We are constantly belittled by the giants who have made their homes within us. Light-headed, heavy-legged, bust up in the rain You've been here before, it's ingrained You looked into the sky for a star That's when you saw the strange lights flashing You told yourself it must have been the planes Bright eyes, dead legs, bust up in the rain, man We've been here before, it's ingrained We looked into the sky for a star We saw nothing but the strange lights flashing hey, yo, it must have been the plane I don't care how loud you're laughing I can hear the hollow in you echoing repetitive strains Of what the stranger tried in vain to forget Forgetting. In a dirty little room somewhere she's different. ketamine Giving herself reason To find pleasure in the parallel dimension Dimension or wisdom How much can be certain in a mind that's gone missing? All we want is to see clearly But the screens are all clouded The precincts are crowded The street is too loud And it's the dawn of a... Oh no wait, hold the cliché Fold up the note, pass it back, let a giggle slip It's nothing new, another mother with a son or two Kicking up the concrete, looking for another route He's on the wall, burning zoots Looking like his hunger boots, his belly crossed the floor and back You told me we was clawing back control But we're awkward, hold up, morbid We weep for mortgages, we know that we got more to give Whose war is this? The lions or the half eaten tamer? Bleeding rapidly before his boss who's waving a disclaimer Looking placidly away into the haze of another 40 cage, man Make what you like of it, it's just me and the page, we're about to make a night of it Ignore the footsteps on the landing, the pen is something I can hold every time I need some understanding You see, the night is thick against the glass, the demons lurk on the past, I'm here with blood that And the pumping heart when well, my country jumps and starts and comes apart as if all we are is bad diets STDs and grab riots sad eyes pivot on their pins we're babies in the wilderness our cries are hidden by the wind your my sad eyes pivot on their pins we're just babies in the wilderness our screams are hidden by the wind
2: you could rap about or, or, or like I'm saying about a certain topic that, that may have that may have been covered, you know, love or loss or whatever, but the way you do it and the little bits in it bring the levels to that game.
3: Yeah, but that, that, like, particular detail about the door knockers, lion mouth door knockers, you know, it's like you carry all this furniture around in your brain, I do anyway, of, like, things that you've just seen or observed as being part of a particular root home or whatever it is, some characteristic of the... The brick, or just the route, or just the city that you live in, or wherever you live. And you, I personally have all this stuff to consult about how to position a story in a place. Because as a writer, you're always paying such close attention to detail. Like, just you don't even—it's not even intentional. It's just how I experience walking down the street. I notice. Like And the thing is, I've got a really good mate, actually, called Lucy, who's an artist, and she's brilliant. And she notices, like, well, she's a painter decorator by trade, but she's an incredible artist, and I really please hope <coughs> one day that she can, you know, make Damien Hurst kind of money. Anyway, if we were both sitting in this room, so I'll just describe it for the people listening. We're sitting on a sofa, there's like a couple of little pillows, cushions, and they've got like splodges of colour on them. So I might, if I was like sitting in this, if this was a waiting room or whatever and I was sitting in this room, I'd probably notice the faces of the people on the magazine covers. But my friend Lucy, who's an artist, would notice the shape and the structure of the squares in the floor, the perspective of how the um, wardrobe rises up, the distance between the top of that wardrobe and the thing hanging down from the ceiling. She'd be noticing all the patterns and shapes and I would be noticing probably the expressions on the faces of the people (laughs) on the magazines. And maybe like... There's
2: great comfort in people's faces.
3: Well, this is it, this is it. <laughs> but seriously, like, the things that I notice <clears throat> and are observant about are particularly related to the way that I experience stories. So if I look at this cushion or whatever, what I'm thinking about is, like, how many people have sat on that, have, like, used it for comfort, who made that, what was the situation between the person who had to go to work and just make this... How, how long did it take them to suddenly get their head done in by this bright color? Or is it actually quite a nice job? That's the kind of thing that I'm thinking about. <laughs> but my mate who's an artist will be thinking about...
2: You could genuinely make a concept album about anything. I That's felt, felt, just
3: uh, my brain. That's yeah, just it.
2: I, f- <clears throat> I felt like you dissected that cushion um, quite well there. <laughs> If you weren't into this game, I I reckon you'd be like a therapist or like a se- like psychoanalyst or something like that. You'd be like asking all the questions, trying to get to the core.
3: If I didn't have my writing, I think I'd just be mad. There's like, if I didn't have a way to get it out, then I just it would just drive me absolutely mad.
2: Do you do you write do you write every day?
3: Uh, I I mean, do
2: you are you on your phone? Like, are you like how do you do it?
3: I don't like to write on my phone because I don't like the. I mean, sometimes you have to do it, but I just don't like the light that comes off it. Like, I much prefer writing on a bit of paper.
2: With your quill. Your quill <laughs> quill and ring.
3: <laughs> with my biro. <laughs> <laughs> like, something I think about the phone screen light, it just, it, I don't know, it kind of interferes with the light in your brain. That's a stupid way of putting it, but that's how it feels sometimes. Obviously, it's necessity sometimes. If you don't have a pen and paper, then I use it. But I try and write every day, but then sometimes, like, sometimes I don't. And I just try not to give myself too much of a hard time about it, you know.
2: What was the What was the music in your house when you were growing up like? What, like, what were your What were your like, uh, folks and people like that listening to?
3: So I'm, I'm the youngest of five siblings, and I was born in 1985. Oh
2: my god, you must have had like the best hand down record collection. I
3: had some pretty varied stuff going on in the house. So my folks, my mum was into like um, she was she she had Tina Turner. Private dancer, that was a vinyl that she loved, and she had um what are they called? Kate and Anna McGarrigal who are these like she was into folk and stuff, my mum, and then she was into um what's she called? what's her name? Joan Armageddon. Joan Armor stuff like that, you know. <laughs> That's just to give you the the age that my mum is. And then my dad was into like Keith Jarrett, the piano player, and he was more into like the kind of heavy instrumental music he was into hendrix and you know that kind of stuff rolling stones i suppose but i never really got on with that he was into like he was a bit of a stoner as well so he would listen. i was just gonna say yeah yeah it's, it's that like, kind of vibe. he doesn't
2: mention the music and yeah. i was like hey what's that there's a weird smell coming from dad's shed
3: <laughs> but then my brother was into like speed garage for a while he was like a dj for a while I mean and before that there was they were into grunge my older siblings they were like heavy into like Nirvana and stuff at the time and um then my sister who's closer to me in age was like crazy about Take That I was going to I was
2: going to say you're a counterculture family up until that point
3: Yeah but yeah no no that we were like the pop like we represented the pop route I mean cuz they were cuz my siblings are like f- five, six, seven years older than me apart from one who's 2 years older than me so that by the they were kind of, They were in their early teenage years, but when I was like eight or whatever. Yeah. So they were into kind of slightly cooler music. Uh, what were they called? Carter the Unstoppable, Sex Machine. Remember they were from New Cross, <laughs> so that's from close to where I live. Yeah, or, yeah. Uh, they. My brother used to like them. And then I just the music.
2: Which, which, like, what, what, what of the stuff? Like, what of those records were you pinching for yourself? What were you bringing up to your room?
3: Nirvana. Yeah. Yeah, my brother's Nirvana. My sister, they, my. Two of my siblings were going to go and see them. Actually, they had tickets, but then, but Kurt then died. I remember that being like a huge thing mm. that they.
2: That, yeah, because he died just before the tour, didn't he? Mm. There was a lot. The mm. first date might have been in Belfast. A lot of people were talking about that. Yeah. Um,
3: but I remember listening to listening to Nirvana as a tape, and um, rewinding the swear words, like, uh, in my room, like rewinding it because I don't know. There was just something so powerful about this, like
2: the way he would say it.
3: Yeah, like.
2: But everything about that the, those like nirvana albums were visceral mm. and it's it's music that's designed to be listened to by young impressionable minds yeah maybe so. I, I think i it. think so like I, mm. I think like it's important for big themes to challenge you at a like, young age like I, I really think that maybe teenagers and or and even younger are like underestimated like when you go out, when you're sitting listening to like Kirk Cobain or like Alice in Chains or Soundgarden, yeah. and you're listening to the real deepness of life when you're like about 12 or 13, yeah. you're like, fuck me, I hope my life doesn't turn out like that. <laughs> but at the same time, you're like, yes, yeah. <laughs> rock
3: on. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I feel like that when you hear that kind of music at a young, really young age, like you, what, you, what you don't understand, you can feel. You know, maybe yeah, you don't yeah. understand it, but you can feel it. And, like, I definitely remember having that kind of reaction to, like, stuff that I couldn't quite understand, but I could definitely feel it.
2: Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And what, what stage was it, like, you decided that you were going to get into music as, like, a not like a career? You don't, like, no. nobody sits down to 13 and goes, yeah, so I want to be a career musician. You either want to be, like, a massive rock star or you don't know, like, whatever.
3: I think that I started to... I became obsessed with music, like obsessed, like obsessed, like I couldn't think about anything else. I think when I was about, when I was about twelve. So from about eight, I was, I was discovering music on my own terms. I was listening to these records or these CDs or tapes that I had access to, and I was understanding them for myself, not just because my dad or my mum or my brother or my sister listened to them, but what I, yeah, what I felt from them. And just people like Stevie Wonder and Michael Jackson at this age. Do you know what I mean? Stuff like that. And then when I got to about 12, it got really serious. And then at 13, it was like, it was all I could think about. And then you
2: must b- be the shit student at school. Uh, just, like, yeah. y- y- if you're obsessed with music that much, like you're, you're not sitting in geography class taking in what they're telling you about tributaries and <laughs> stalagmites <laughs> and stalactites.
3: No, but I mean, there's so much to learn. That's the thing. As soon as you start to think about music, as soon as you start to be interested in like yeah. one band, then you want to know everything about who they were influenced by, and it's just endless. Especially at that time, it was before Spotify or YouTube. And you don't like... have
2: anything else to do. I I, I think I wrote I, I wrote <laughs> I read every biography of all the bands that I loved. Yeah. And you just had infinite time to to flick through NME and flick through pretty much every single magazine that was going. Yeah. It's yeah. Like I'm no, I'm 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 definitely the same as you, but like. I the only problem I had with being that obsessed with music was I was really annoyed that we didn't have a movement for my age
3: yeah
2: we had like new rave <laughs> and I was like I feel shortchanged what would you have preferred? I mean if it, you could have dropped me in anywhere I like I, I always would have said like you know 77 punk rock but the older I'm getting I just think it would be really 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 funny to have been a new romantic just just <laughs> Just, just because of like, just for what you're wearing, like, all these like, yeah. skinny peacock men yeah. walking around looking like Edwardian whores. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I mean? It would have been an interesting time for fashion. Amazing.
3: Yeah, I think like the the thing of the thing of it was that I got to be, I got a job in a record shop when I was fourteen, and that was like a really important time of discovery, and like suddenly I could just listen to anything I wanted and I could also there was something really interesting about when people would come in quite colourful characters that we were getting in Lewisham market at the time and um, I would always be kind of turned on to new music by just different characters coming in and asking for different things and I learned so much from that and I learned about what I liked and what I didn't like and then this was it was still a couple of years before I had the confidence to start rapping out loud but it was around this time that I started to really seriously think that this was going to be something that um, that I couldn't live without. You know,
2: what was like? What, what was the rap music you were listening to in the in the record store? Where like, if you're in South London, surely there was a lot of um, like, was it one of those like shops where there'd be like lots of MCs? There'd be like MC Toasting and, uh, and no, it was like, like,
3: like, like was um, it... so it was around the back Backerusham Market uh, where I grew up and. It was like, there was three stalls. There was like the punk and rock bit down there. And then there was like the, the vinyl shop, which was mainly like dance music run by this amazing DJ called Nasty McQuaid. He taught me a hell of a lot about like drum and bass jungle. And like he's still like absolutely moving in the kind of Afrobeat and bass I think he even writes, like, I mean, he's smashing it. He's still yeah, very much involved yeah. in, the, in the thing. And he he was, like, pretty amazing teacher to encounter at that time. And then I was in the hip-hop, soul, R&B and reggae and Bashment shop. It's like, that's... It was kind of loosely termed under urban, that terrible phrase. Isn't it? It's ridiculous. Um, so that was, like, that was where I was positioned there. And it wasn't really the kind of shop where people, MCs, were toasting or we were throwing parties or anything. It was just, like, people would just come in and would just be playing music. And people come in and ask for certain things, and and the the music that I was listening to at the time, the rappers that I was really into when I was fourteen were Most Def, Farron Munch, Big L, Grave Diggers. I love Too Poetic from Grave Diggers. Um, obviously Wu Tang, Jizzar. He was like my like my kind of shining light. Bahamadia, Lauren Hill. I mean Lauren Hill was a little bit earlier, but obviously still was just absolutely <coughs> checking for her. Mm. And then, in terms of UK staff, Task Force Skinny Man, um, and then like
2: if it was like to be a Disney movie of your life, um, would there be like one of these furtive shots, like you can imagine it right now, where like you'd be sitting in the in the shop and the Skinny Man would be on the background, you'd be like rapping along to it, you'd be <laughs> like, "Whoa, hey Kate, you got something." <laughs>
3: it was like people used to come in and just look at me like, "Who are you and what are you doing here?" Like I just I was a very strange. Kid, I'm still a very strange person. people didn't understand if I was male or female. They didn't know how old i was they couldn't They couldn't place me they didn't mm. I was an odd kid still am like and my passion for the music yeah, enabled me to basically pass as a human being <laughs> <That> is, <laughs> yeah, which is yeah. which is seriously what would be going on. so I remember like people would come in like for my school like older kids would come in cool kids you know and then they would see me working there and I would like they would be talking to me about whatever like I don't know they would want some release and I would have it and then that would give me some kind of access
2: that gives you like social currency doesn't it something
3: like that and so then in the playground at school or whatever I would get a little nod from some older older person that would then people are like whoa what why did that person nod you know just mad (laughs) stuff like that but then also just like in in the neighborhood of Lewisham um just walking around like suddenly like this kind of weird like odd kid i don't know i became associated with music and loving music and that gave me confidence
2: from that i'd imagine
3: it just gave it gave me a purpose i think at that age you need one
2: passionate music fans will always take on passionate music fans regardless of um color creed or or anything yeah like if you're into the same shit as somebody else and you know what you're talking about then yeah they'll accept you like i came over here um, to london in 2012 and got into grime in a massive way because i'd mm. never even like I'd, I'd never heard more than maybe dizzy rascal mm. um in northern ireland and got into it and immersed myself in it i uh. lived i moved to bow uh, <laughs> as I, I moved to bow bowie three when i moved here simply due to the fact that i was reading about roll deep and i was reading yeah. about wiley and um did you did you manage to
3: to encounter them in bow did you get close (laughs)
2: because they all they all like rap i I only realized when i got there that they all rapped about how much they love bow and how much they also love getting out of it yeah for sure so like but i i got into it in a big way and started playing it a lot on on the radio and i was playing it flat out all the time and i was putting on dog grime night here and there Mm. and i was kind of at odds with myself like you have these identity issues, like especially being Irish, you always have this identity issue of are you Irish, Northern Irish, British or whatever? Mm. And I was like, right, I've just got that off I figured that one out and now I'm in London and I'm like going, Am I allowed to be Northern Irish and, and listen to Grime and, and sort of you know try and talk about it and give give it a a because this is pre two thousand and fourteen and pre Skeptics, that's not me, which was the yeah. launch pad of the third wave. Yeah, yeah. Um of Grime or sorry, third wave of Grime. Um so I was playing it and I was like having this identity issue and then I like started talking to people um about it and they were just like shut the fuck up and just yeah. just just enjoy the music it doesn't matter who you are
3: especially if you're in a position to give spotlight and shine to music you know that like it's not like you're trying to claim the music for your own it's like you're trying to bring attention to it and do what you can to to um yeah give Give some attention to a music music that you love. That's that's amazing. I just grew,
2: I just grew out of punk rock. And I needed something else, and, and Grime Grime filled that yeah, hole. Yeah, for
3: sure. There are definitely huge similarities. I think. Did you
2: go to Did you go to Brit School? I
3: did. Yeah. yeah.
2: So like working in a, a really cool record store like that. Yeah. That was just sort of day, like weekend job, and then Brit School was like during the week. Was it? Did but, they, did they, the time, did they cross paths. No,
3: the, I didn't go to Brit School till I was sixteen. Right. So I went. Yeah. It's, you go there as like college and when i was how did you get into it it's really tough you have to have an audition and you have to like and in my audition i played the guitar played did like, you yeah played that like spanish guitar i wasn't rapping at the time i was kind of lost at that time in my life i wasn't going to school yeah uh, and i was did uh, you get
2: your gcse i did
3: i did sit them but i, did, I wasn't attending classes mm. so I, did, I didn't i did go in on the exam day and sit in the room and but i was in a people referral unit for quite a long time before leading up to it and you know it, was, it wasn't it was a great time for me basically sure. and then um, a, me and a friend of mine we heard about this place called the Brit School and we went and looked around it on one of these like open days and it was just like nothing I'd ever experienced before there's a recording studio that you can use there's like radio suites there's like they've just got so much gear like and all these kids who were just like nothing I'd ever seen before these like mad confident talented Young people.
2: Isn't that like scary walking into somewhere where everybody's that confident? It and, was mad. And, yeah. I know?
3: it wasn't scary. It was like, it was like, wow, this is, this is incredible. Like, what? I just felt like the energy. The first person I saw singing, a girl called her name's Tarbia, and um, she is the, one of the best vocalists. Like, wow. I mean, I saw her sing. I was fourteen. No, sorry, I was sixteen. She'd been there since she was fourteen, and. Um, I was just like, this is, this is insane. She was just singing in the foyer, you know, like doing this little gig with like a couple of other players. And it was just like, for somebody who had aspirations and dreams to be creative, um, this was like suddenly an exciting opportunity to just like learn some stuff and indulge in that.
2: Did it, did it live up to the ambition, or did, sorry, did it live up to the dream that you had in your head when you went to that open day?
3: Um, well, when I got in and that was a huge a huge thing yeah. to have happened that was probably the biggest achievement i'd ever had in my Consi- life
2: considering where you got to with your career making a career from your thoughts and your and your rapping <laughs> you got in on spanish guitar
3: yeah and, and, I, and singing yeah which is insane i was playing i played some spanish guitar this like kind of I, at the time i wasn't i wasn't rapping out loud to people it was uh-huh. still a secret and i wasn't sharing my lyrics with anybody <laughs> But I wanted to be a musician. I wanted to make beats as well. I'd sit there and like, make beats like on Cubase and stuff like that. And that was what I thought I wanted to do. And um, that's why I was excited about the Brit School because you got to do this thing called recording technique, where you could learn about like, how to record. I wanted to be an engineer, like shit like that, you know. Yeah. And then like, yeah, this was the biggest achievement I'd ever made had. And I and I went in with like my one my best pal like we we never went to school together we met out of school just like hanging out, and we both got in, so I, it was really exciting. It was like, but then actually I didn't. To be honest, I didn't. U- I didn't utilize the time very well. I was like, I'll be straight up. I was heavy into drugs and I wasn't really. I didn't use the time as well as I could have done, and I ended up not. Not really making the most out of it. To be honest, I, I didn't attend very much, which is like something that is, you know, I it just smacks of my privilege that i was able to get such a fantastic opportunity and and kind of even something that important that could have been such a lifeline at that time wasn't enough to pull me out of the place that i was in at the time so 2 years went by and i don't know i think i passed the modules i can't i didn't i think i must have passed it was like a btec but it, it wasn't it wasn't like i was a valuable member of that community yeah
2: yeah but like i mean try and tell that to a 16 year old you like you if you if it was if it was possible for you to go back and speak to 16 year old now you then you probably still wouldn't listen to yourself would you like i don't Don't think I, i don't think i would but there was I, I, think like, it's, I think it's important to, as I said before, everybody's on their own timeline. So you you find your you find your feet at whatever time.
3: Yeah, I, I, it was that those couple of years was when I started to rap out loud. Yeah, but just not really there. Yeah. Like, I was doing that in at Dill Real, which was this record store. We used to do these open mics, and I was starting to get gigs, and it, it all happened at that time. And there was a lot of people that I was rapping with. Two of the people in my crew were both also at the Brit School, so we would just basically link up and just go and sit in the park and just, like, just cipher and have sessions. There was lots of other people that were musical, like, some really cool kids that I met. There was a lot of amazing people, actually, that I met,
2: but... What was your crew?
3: We were called Ital. It takes a uh, lot.
2: It takes a lot, yeah, I quite like that. <laughs> it Which is, does, um... Doesn't rhyme with quite a lot, though, when you actually sit, sit down and think about... Oh, it's, um... Vital.
3: Ital is it's a word that means pure. <coughs> in in Jamaican patois. Yeah. it means pure, you know? You, yeah, you would, yeah. Which, um... And, and it it talks about a certain you know you would use it to describe idle food and idle diet which is about a raw vegan diet which is what yeah. rastafarians um, some of them are following if they're like particularly like on that path or the the way that you might sm- smoke spliff yeah you might smoke it idle pure without mixing with tobacco anyway the the name came from my close friend and basically my brother and. uh it was a cool name. He, it actually came from his mum, I think, who also gave me my first weapon.
2: <laughs> How many mums have named a crew before? <laughs> no, this this particular
3: mum is. A, she's like, Pff, yeah, she was amazing. Without her, without Donna, I wouldn't be the person that I am for sure. Yeah, for sure.
2: And so, at what point did the? Did you did you go out as as a crew? Like like, what what sort of?
3: Yeah, well, there was music, four of us.
2: musicality was the, was the crew like were you playing, grind beats? Was it reggae beats? Was it hip hop beats? No,
3: it was hip hop. It was like UK hip hop there were three rappers and, um,
2: was it hard?
3: It was kind of, I mean, it was like, we were, Do you crave- we were always about, um, knowledge, wisdom and understanding. That was always, we were like deep thinking kids. You know, we were like, we were really trying to get something out of, out of the life experiences that we've had, you know?
2: So you, you're coming at it from a more positive angle.
3: I don't even know. It was. I think it was just more the joy of creativity, like the joy of being eighteen and having, or seventeen, or sixteen, or fifteen, and like have, especially yeah, the younger, like fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. That joy of like, wow, I can make music. I can make music with my friends. I can rap. I can, you know, it's just like wow. The, the beauty of like beginning to write a verse and knowing that as soon as you get to the end of it, you can run out the door and share it, and then you've got another yeah. verse in your head in your <laughs> toolbox. To get some little respect in the cipher like and like I was always interested in the political verses. that was always my thing. I was always reading a lot, I was very much into word as power, you know, mm-hmm. word as vehicle of expression and and Confucius, who was the other m c in the crew, he was just like this mad, deep guy, really esoteric, like he played a lot with them um, contrasts and he was always bringing in these surprising elements into his raps he had a really laid-back flow he was a massive Wu-Tang fan and then Arise was the other guy and he was a saxophone player and a piano player but he's his big influence was Tupac he loved Tupac and, and then uh and G quake bass he played the beats he made he was like his heritage is Ghanaian uh, Jamaican his mother is the woman that, that named the crew and he was a drummer he's been a drummer since he was a kid, and he like stopped drumming and started producing making beats then he picked up his kit again much later. He's genius you know these- this like these people are the making of me really.
2: what what do the s l crew think of like where you're at now like with and and where your journey has, has taken you because like you've had you've had an unbelievable amount of um plaudits and critical acclaim over over the last few years they must be really proud to see to see the progression right
3: it's a beautiful thing i think because also gee um quake Bass who made the beats he used to say to me like i mean he's the reason i started rapping really because he would say to me when i'd be sitting with him thinking that i was going to make beats this is the guy that i've got into the brit school with like my proper mate yeah. he would say when you know when are you going to find your thing because I would sit with him making beats and I would kind of get involved in the beats that he was making. But
2: <laughs> He's like, this isn't your thing.
3: I mean, for, yeah, for, for sure, he was like, you need to find your thing. The way that he lived for drums. Like he, wanted, he knew that I had that in me, but he was like, you've got to find it. And then that was when I put two and two together and started thinking about the writing that I was doing privately. And, and then he always used to say to me, like, not if, but when. He used to say, we were children. We were walking around, like, you know, Newcastle, Lewisham, Brockley, and he would say to me, not if, but when.
2: That's very that's very deep, isn't it? He's a
3: deep guy. We were <laughs> deep kids. Deep. Yeah, like, we totally. were deep kids,
2: man. If you didn't go to school as much as you like, you say you didn't. Then how did you get into like Shakespeare and and, and things like that? Because uh, because like, there's no way I would have <laughs> definitely ever definitely
3: not through school.
2: But there's no way I ever would have read Shakespeare unless I had have done A level English literature where we did Macbeth or right. you know I I did a little bit of English literature at uni as well, and you know I. I'm I was I'm a good bullshitter. I can write an essay, but I never read the books. Right. If if I could have watched the DVD yeah. on it, I, that's that, that's that's why I didn't take it on the second year. I was like, right, maybe this isn't for me.
3: Well, the thing is about that is that I was always reading a lot. No, even when I wasn't going to school, I had it stopped going into classes probably in like year nine, probably stopped going in. Um, but I was always reading a hell of a lot. And um, the thing about Shakespeare is that... I never really read Shakespeare. And then when I started working as a poet... So I was rapping. I was trying to make a living <coughs> as a rapper. I went to this poetry slam one night that a friend took me to. I didn't really know anything about poetry. My friend said, hey, come to this thing in Lubbock Grove. was a £100 prize. We went down there. I won the slam for doing my lyrics without any music. And this opened up a whole new life for me, which was the life of a spoken word poet, which I had no idea about. And in that life of a spoken word poet, I became a poet for hire. That was my thing. I, could, I would go into <laughs> like, workshops, do workshops in schools, do two of them a week, you can make your rent easy peasy. Like it's crazy. Mm. And, and um, as part of that, I got these commissions to like write poems for organisations. And one of those commissions was for the Royal Shakespeare Company.
2: Yeah, I've seen that one.
3: Right, so that's when I started reading Shakespeare, when I got the job to write a synopsis. That's,
2: that's when you read it for the first time? Yeah. Oh my God, wow.
3: Yeah, well, that's I, probably
2: what they wanted though, because they were looking for um, a particular young person's view on where they come from through Shakespeare, right?
3: I don't know what they wanted, but um, like people think I name myself Kate Tempest after Shakespeare, like I'm some mad Shakespeare fan. But I didn't even know that Tempest related to the Shakespeare play. I took the name Tempest because it described a storm. It's, it, it means storm. I thought <laughs> it
2: was after the shop.
3: <laughs> and then like. Um, like I did, I did read. I think later I read, I'd read *The Tempest* because my name was Tempest, and and I, I wanted to find out more about that. I mean, I love Shakespeare. Don't get me wrong. I do mean I'm not like, it. but it's just to answer your question: What, how come you, you, if you weren't having a good time at school, and I wasn't taking academic subjects or anything like that? But I did find my way back into education because I always did love to read and I love to think. And after I finished college. I did actually sign up for some evening classes at Goldsmiths, which is a university in New Cross, which is where I live, where I lived at the time. And I did these evening classes, like Access to Learning. and I did them for a couple of years, and that took me into doing like full-time classes. So I did get back into academic stuff a bit later on, and I really enjoyed it. And it helped me with what I was writing, I think. Just having that rigorous access to other people's ideas was really helpful.
2: Think if I turned around in my, my English literature class and Kid Tempest was sitting right beside me, I'd be like, <sighs> "They
3: hated me. They hated me because I, I the thing is I didn't know how to pronounce any of the names. Like people used to laugh at me in the classes and stuff. I once said like Don Quixote or something. I don't know it's Don Quixote. Like how am I meant to know that? No I had stuff like that, yeah. you know? And also I was. I would think to myself if you've all paid all this money to be here why are you acting too cool for school like you can't ask a question like this, everyone's paying all this money to be in this room let's try and make the most that's, of it
2: that's the whole point you're there you're there, no, you're there to learn because goldsmiths
3: is like you know it's like an arty there's a lot of people that were fresh to london as well so they would just discovered like the nightlife or whatever i was like trying to get out of that stuff yeah really trying to get on my books and um so i think that my presence in the classes was quite um people used to, i think people kind of found me a bit jarring well, it didn't really matter to me because I had my gigs at night and I had my pals that I'd had since I was a kid.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's not. It's not like you're um, silently pining in your your dorm room. Or whatever. I wasn't like, exactly. I wasn't on the social. <laughs> world, right. Right.
3: I was just living with mates anyway. I had been living with mates since I'd, for a few years, so.
2: Anyway. That, I, like that's that's our. That's, I got. I just got the wrap up. Yeah, um, that's the, our time. The, the wrap up time. So that's our time. Um, Kate, thank you so much for um, taking the time out to it's like a podcast I know this is the last bit of press that you have to do before you go on tour which is great yeah um and the tour is happening in uh, well the end of this month and November the whole way throughout the UK
3: yeah we got I'm leaving tomorrow well I don't know when this is going to be heard but I'm leaving in a couple of days to start it and it happens until the end of November and I think it's going to be a beautiful sequence of performances I I got the feeling it's going to be really beautiful this time yeah
2: well, good luck to it.
3: Thanks, mate. Nice to talk to you.
2: You too.
0: The wait is finally over and sport is back on Now TV. It's like- where you can watch Sky Sports, Premier Sports, and BT Sport together and all without a contract. What a fantastic part. So whether there's a day, week, or whole month of action you just can't miss, you can now stream the lot. Oh, it's a fabulous goal! This is your sport on your terms. Search Now TV Sports to find out more. 18 plus content streamed via internet. Full terms apply.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.